Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. So I was watching the X-Zone TV channel last night when I was abducted by aliens, and they kept repeating to me over and over again, simultv.com, simultv.com. What's simultv.com? That's what I asked them. They had it written on the side of their UFO. How do you spell that? UFO. No, I mean simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Right. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a simultv.com UFO last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember now last night, I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about Simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Roswell in the 21st century is a detailed re-examination of the Roswell UFO crash case. I have studied the evidence for more than 30 years, and I now put that evidence under a microscope in a cold case examination of the facts. These facts might not please everyone. They are based on my comprehensive investigation that took years to complete, but they do lead to the conclusion that whatever fell was not built on Earth. The best of Project Blue Book is based on the 22-year-long investigation conducted by the Air Force. But the book goes far beyond that, bringing in evidence that was uncovered long after Project Blue Book was ordered terminated. Using facts that were unavailable to the Air Force investigators, I was able to prove that the Air Force manipulated the data and drew unrealistic conclusions about the UFO sightings reported to them. My different perspective shows there was more to Project Blue Book than even the Air Force knew. Both books are available at Amazon.com. Join Patty Conklin and Healing Within Radio each week. More than entertainment, Healing Within offers educational, useful tools for everyday life. Listen for help overcoming fear, anxiety, and depression. Patty knows about eliminating cancer, MS, dementia, Parkinson's, and a host of illnesses that we face every day. Life can be good. Life is good. All you need are simple tools to start changing your life. Start right now by visiting pattyconklin.com, P-A-T-T-I-C-O-N-K-L-I-N. No matter where you are in the world, you can work with Patty through Skype, phone, or in person, visiting one of her retreats in Georgia. Visit pattyconklin.com today or call our offices at 404-474-0086. That's pattyconklin.com or call 404 474 0086.
This is a different perspective with Kevin Randall. Kevin is a retired United States Army Lieutenant Colonel who has studied UFOs for more than 50 years. His military training has provided him with unique insight into military operations and UFO research. Kevin has investigated many of the most mysterious cases and has been consulted for dozens of documentaries and been interviewed on hundreds of radio and television programs about UFOs. Considered to be one of the leading experts on the Roswell UFO crash, Kevin has written more than 25 books about UFOs including Roswell in the 21st Century and Encounter in the Desert, a re-examination of the Socorro UFO landing. Now here is the host of A Different Perspective, Kevin Randall. And welcome to this edition of A Different Perspective. I'm Kevin Randall. Before I'm joined by Nick Redfern, I've got a bit of a rant, and this is kind of a bizarre thing. As most of you know, I'm a Vietnam veteran, and I've never really seen any Vietnam movies. I just don't want to see them. I don't want to go to them. The only exception is the Green Berets, and the only reason I've seen that is because we saw it while we were in Vietnam. And I mention all this because the other night I blundered into it on TNT or somewhere. They were showing the Green Berets, and I was watching part of it, and I said, this thing is really ridiculous and offensive. I cannot believe this movie. I just, it, there's so much wrong with it from the perspective of a Vietnam veteran. And I just wanted to say, I find that movie offensive because it's just filled with nonsense and probably xenophobia and racism and all kinds of things. Not to mention that you got the sun setting in the East, as we've all talked about or people have talked about in the past. I, I just wanted to mention that briefly for no other reason than I could. Uh, I'm going to be joined here by Nick Redfern, who is a full-time writer and journalist specializing in a wide range of unsolved mysteries, including Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, UFO sightings, government conspiracies, alien abductions, and paranormal phenomenon. He writes regularly for the London Daily Express newspaper, Fortean Times, Fate, and UFO Magazine, although maybe not for UFO Magazine so much anymore. His previous books include Three Men Seeking Monsters, Strange Secrets, Cosmic Crashes, and The FBI Files. And his newest book is Rendlesham Forest UFO Conspiracy. Among his many exploits, uh, Nick has investigated reports of lake monsters in Scotland, vampires in Puerto Rico, werewolves in England. Yeah, I can believe werewolves in England. I don't have any doubt about that. Aliens in Mexico, sea serpents in the United States. Nick travels and lectures extensively around the world. Originally from England, he currently lives in te Dallas, Texas, which explains his strange accent, I think. Nick, welcome to A Different Perspective once again. Hey, Kevin. How's it going? Going fine. Are you locked up in your apartment there or your house or whatever? That's what I'm doing. Yeah, I'm not one of these crazy people who thinks that, you know, somebody says it's okay to go outside, so everybody goes outside, you know. No, you can go I mean, outside. Stupid. You can go outside. Well, yeah, you don't hang around with a lot of people. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't mind going outside, but, you know, when there's like 40, 50 people around, like, um, I don't. I just don't see the point of, of risking it, you know. So, yeah, I'm kind of in that category as well. And I guess as a writer, you understand this as well as I do, which is we do not. We sit in front of our computers day after day in the house and really don't go anywhere. So being locked into the house isn't that well, big a difference. Well, that's a good point. I mean, sort of nine to five Monday, um, Monday to Friday, um, I sort of work. Those are my hours. I like to keep regular 
job, what I call job hours, you know, nine to five, Monday to Friday. But admittedly, you know, I do miss sort of going hitting the town Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. So, uh, but hopefully, you know, um, we'll get through all this, you know, and um, hopefully also, you know, the, the figures will stop, uh, start dropping down, you know, and um, we're not going to see as many terrible deaths, you know, on the, the figure we got now. I mean, he's just awful, you know. Well, let's move on to a happier topic then. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll, I'll point out that um, several weeks ago, maybe a couple of months ago, several months ago, I interviewed John Burroughs on this program, and we were talking about Rendlesham Forest, obviously. And he mentioned to me on the program that he no longer believed that the what they were involved in was extraterrestrial, but that it had something to do with experimentation that had been going on in that area of England for any number of years, and there have been lots of sightings. And I see from your book, um, you were working with John Burroughs on this and kind of explore that idea? No, I didn't interview or speak uh, with John for the book, no. Uh, but does the book offers an alternative explanation for Rendlesham Forest? Yeah, that's correct. And um, basically, it looks at the the, the picture of uh, Rendlesham as it relates to um, the UFO angle, and why I feel um, like John, I guess that uh, so I didn't know that, um, but. Um, I guess like John, you know, I've come to the conclusion that Rendlesham was a military experiment. And there's, there's several reasons why I conclude that. And one of them relates to the history of the area. Now, for people who don't know, uh, the Rendlesham Forest uh, case, December 1980, uh, multiple U.S. military personnel who were stationed at the twin bases of Royal Air Force Bentwaters and Woodbridge, um, late one night, uh, just over the Christmas period, strange lights were seen in the woods. And um, it's important to note that, you know, the the woods itself, Rendlesham Forest, is open land. Anyone can go there. It's not like it's government land or anything like that. So the guys who saw these um, lights outside of the um, the base actually had to get permission to go into the woods because, as I said, it, it's UK soil. It's not part of the bases. Um, and, you know, the the guys who were out there saw these strange lights and um, claimed to have seen this sort of strange craft and um, all sorts of weird phenomena going on in the woods. Now, that's sort of the, the thrust of the story. But one of the things that's been sort of overlooked for so many times and why I felt it was important to mention it in the book is the history of the area. For example... In 1935, the British government set up a top-secret committee called the Tizard Committee to study early radar. And then during the Second World War, at a little um, village called Shingle Street, um, which is um, near the... the, um, the coastline of, on the side of England, um, there have all been rumours for years of uh, an, a, a planned attack by the Germans onto the East Coast and that supposedly the soldiers were all killed in some mysterious fashion when they were all burnt to death on the, uh, on the beach. Wait, wait, um, wait, wait, wait. Whose soldiers? And, and were, was it a German attempt to land on England or was it British soldiers or American soldiers that were in defending positions? 
Yeah, it was German soldiers that were sort of trying to sneak at night um, on th- through the um, across the um, the North Sea and the English mm-hmm. Channel. And that the location point was this little village called Shingle Street. And the story is that the British military knew about this, and somehow the the German. Uh, personnel were essentially just sort of fried and burned with some sort of technology and um, that story has um, circulated for many years and then in the 60s um, there was another top secret radar program called Cobra Mist and then in the 70s um, there was a Marconi presence um, in the area as well. Now, the reason why I mention all this, the Tizard Committee, Cobra Mist, the Shingle Street Conspiracy, Marconi, is because all of these facilities that I mentioned and the, the places and the projects where they were all set up, they were all within... The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pounds. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. In 11 miles of Rendlesham Forest. So, in other words, Rendlesham Forest and the surrounding areas has been a hotbed of top-secret experimentation going back to 1935, which really, when you look at it from the perspective of all of those classified experiments from 35 and then right in the middle of it you've got Rendlesham you know you do really have a different perspective you know the the perspective I think that a lot of people have is just this you know this isolated forest which hasn't really had any history in anything apart from that particular UFO case but when you look into it the whole area as I said has been um, just a hotbed for UFO activity and classified experiments um, going on for more than half a, uh, half a century. Well, this is why I thought, and I hadn't seen the book, why I thought John Burroughs was involved, because John Burroughs made a big deal when he was on the program, or mentioned that there had been a lot of experimentation going on in the area and a lot of scientific research going on in the area, and that what they had seen uh, during those days in December were probably maybe part of some of that experimentation and that it wasn't just confined to those few days in December of 1980, but it, it was things that had gone on before and things that had gone on afterwards, but everybody focused narrowly on those specific days and that those specific sightings. So that's why I thought John Burroughs had been somewhat involved in, in, in your book, uh, mistakenly so, but that was why I drew that conclusion. 
Um, when we come back, we're gonna have, we'll take a take a little bit more look at that sort of thing. I've got to take a quick break here. And I just wanted to uh, thank all of those who have purchased the Best of Project Blue Book. It's been up and down on the various Amazon bestseller lists. And I know that if you write a review, if you've gotten the book and you write a review, that always helps because it tells other people what's in the book and gets them interested in as well. We can get our word out to a wider audience that way. I, of course, do my blog at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com, and I'll have more information about this. And I'll link to the article or the uh, interview I did with John Burroughs so that you all can hear what he had to say that kind of uh, reflects what, uh, what Nick is saying here. We will be back right after this with more with Nick Redfern and Rendlesham Forrest and those controversies, so please stick around. Are you looking for psychic services that empower as well as provide accurate information? Jenny is a third-generation psychic with extensive esoteric training. A practicing professional intuitive for over 30 years, her accuracy is astounding. While most psychics can read what will happen to you if you don't change directions, Jenny understands the future is subjective. While there is a river of time we all traverse, that river has many waves, eddies, currents, and tributaries from which to choose. With Jen E. as your guide, you can explore the many possible outcomes in the river of time and navigate your course to the one of your liking. Take control of your future. Book your life-changing session with Jenny today at www.gen-e.net. That's www.gen-e.net. Mission Evolution is dedicated to the well-being of the planet and animals, as well as the evolution of humankind. One major factor threatening all three is increasing toxicity. Heavy metals and other environmental toxins are poisoning our bodies, deteriorating our brains, blocking our spiritual connection, and shortening our lives. Yet these poisons are extremely difficult to remove. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, and I recently became aware of a product created from the marriage of nature and nanotechnology called Vitality. Is formulated from zoolite, whose crystalline structure binds toxins, gently carrying them out of the body. The light is only as clear as the window through which it shines. Clear your body, shine your light into the world. Visit VitalityHappens.com for a 20% discount. Enter code PATHHOME. In the mid-1990s, I was approached by a young woman who believed she'd been abducted by alien creatures. In conversations, I began a journey that took me not into the world of interstellar travel, but back through time into past lives. Under hypnotic regression administered by a professional rather than describing abduction, Jenny, as she is called, begins to tell a tale of horror in 19th century London. Her unbelievable past life seems to connect with Jack the Ripper and other monsters of the past. Throughout the session, Jenny provides a rich detail of her past 
lives, it links some of the most horrific killers in history to one another. Using the resources of a university library in the pre-internet day, I was able to verify some of Jenny's claims. She has knowledge that wasn't readily available to a suburban housewife. Does this prove the reality of her tales? Conversations attempts to answer that and other provocative questions. Conversations is available at Amazon.com. I am here with Nick Redfern, which means actually I'm at my house, he's at his house, and the studio's somewhere else. But we're all connected electronically, I guess. When we went away, I was talking about, uh, or we were talking about, I should say, uh, Rendlesham Forest and the experimentation that went on there. And you had a thought that I kind of interrupted uh, you uh, interrupted you about because I wanted to mention why I thought John Burroughs had been involved in um, at least, I guess, sharing information with you for the book. So you were going to say when we went away before I interrupted you? Well, well, you didn't interrupt me. <laughs> it was just, uh, but um, no, um, I actually, until you mentioned it to me um, in an email a few days ago, uh, I actually didn't know that John had changed his views on the case. That's sort of like a, one of those weird um, coincidences. Had I known that, then I certainly would have um, interviewed him for the book. But um, I assume that his position was still uh, as it was uh, you know, prior, um, in the sense that it was a, a UFO event. But, um, but you know, I, I think um, it's intriguing that John has now sort of apparently, you know, changed his views on this. And I think one of the problems with ufology, a lot of people in the field don't want the sort of sacred cows of ufology to be um, questioned or to be flattened and destroyed. But my view is that, you know, we should not be striving to fly the flag of the extraterrestrial angle of Rendlesham. What we should be doing is just to try and find the answers, regardless of what they might be and whether you like them or not, you know. What's, what sparked your interest in taking a look at the history of the area as opposed to just the events on, in December of 1980? Well, I mean, part of the reason was because, you know, I, as a kid, as I grew up, um, you know, just about a three-hour drive from Rendlesham Forest. So when the case um, sort of broke in the 1980s, um, you know, I, I would go over there. I mean, back then, you know, when Rendlesham happened, you know, I wasn't at work or even university or college. I was still in early high school, you know, when Rendlesham Forest happened. So there was no way I could have investigated back then. But when I sort of got to my 20s, I started going over to the area on a number of occasions. And you, you cannot fail to see the military presence that exists there. And, um, and so it, I guess like you, you know, like uh, Roswell, I started to sort of collect material and interview people and you know put threads together and things like that and it was very much sort of a, a slow process not because there wasn't some intriguing material but it was if I was going to do a book on it it was going to require a long period you know to get all the material together and um, and I pretty much got it all done or put it all together um, later last year which um, I know it genuinely really was sort of, um, you know, just a coincidence that um, that the end of next year, excuse me, the end of this year is the 40th anniversary 
um, you know, that was sort of, I guess, like another weird kind of <laughs> coincidence or weird happening, you know. But um, but as I said, yeah, if you go over there, you cannot uh, fail to see, you know, the military history and connection in and around the, the county of Suffolk where the uh, the event occurred. And, um, and there's a, one of the other things as well, you know, there are these rumours of um, when the guys were in the woods that there was a team filming them, not filming the UFO or the strange lights, but having their cameras aimed at the guys, which kind of, even when, you know, when I was sort of um, reading the early books about this, um, I kind of thought, well, hang on a minute, why, why are they filming the guys? Why aren't they filming the UFO? So it was things like this and the location and the military presence made me think, you know, there could be more to this or less to it, you know, depending how how you approach it. Well, both Peniston and the Burroughs told me uh, on, on, the, on the programs when they were on it that uh, they would have been interviewed by the Air Force OSI and subject, subjected possibly to um, chemical regressions and that sort of thing. Does that fit in with your theory at all? Is that is that prominent in the book? Well, yeah, actually the thread of drugs in relation to um, you know the personnel actually runs through the book. For example, one of the um, facilities that I talk about in the, in the book um, is a top secret facility in the southwest of England called Port and Down. And Port and Down is where, from the 1950s onwards, um, the the scientists there started to get deeply interested and involved in hallucinogenics and LSD um, as a means to tr- to use them against, say, for example, um, captured Soviet agents. But they also looked into things like the the feasibility or the potential feasibility of creating hallucinogenics, which could be delivered in an airborne fashion. In other words, you know, create a situation where people on the battlefield, the enemy on the battlefield, could be sort of disabled by vivid hallucinations, terrifying hallucinations, things like that. Now, that on itself is just, you know... Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. One controversial piece of British military history. But what's particularly intriguing is that for years there have been rumors that a team of scientists came up clandestinely from Porton Down to Rendlesham Forest the night before the first series of events began. And the the rumour was that some of these airborne hallucinogenics would be unleashed or released, if you like, 
into the woods, which would sort of play even further into this sort of, um, you know, bizarre, strange situation in the woods with all these flickering lights and balls of light and um, laser beam kind of uh, pencil um, uh, lights coming through the trees and so on. And then when you've got the guys, you know, with their minds to a significant degree, some of them at least, you know, altered, um, that was... That's again made me think. Well, why would a team come up from Porton Down the night before the events? You know, I could understand why a government agency would come the day before or the night before, but uh, excuse me, the night day after, but not you know the the night or the day before. And one of the people who looked into this quite deeply um, was Lord Hill Norton, who in the 1970s was one of the most powerful and influential. Um, figures in the British military in the 70s. And when he retired, he developed a deep interest in, in uh, Rendlesham and he pursued this connection between Portendown, LSD, um, hallucinogenics, etc., etc. And he was essentially given the brush off. Um, he was told he, the government didn't deny or confirm that there was any truth to it or not. What they said was, we went looking for the files, the archived files from that period, and we couldn't find anything. Now, of course, you know, government agencies are very clever at how they phrase things, you know. So in this situation, they didn't deny there were files or confirm them. They just said, well, we went looking. Sorry, we didn't find anything. See ya. It was basically like that. But that but that thread of Porton Down and the LSD and so on and other um, hallucinogenics has gone on for years and years in relation to this case. But it hasn't been discussed to a, a significant degree in hardly any of the books. And I think that's because it sort of diminishes the ET angle. And a lot of people in ufology don't want that to happen. But wouldn't this experimentation, if it took place, be unethical because they're experimenting on people without their knowledge nor their permission? And wouldn't they have had to get permission from the from the U.S. military to perform these experiments on their military personnel? Well, I mean, the whole situation's kind of strange because, you know, the, the two bases, Bentwaters and Woodbridge, were built in the Second World War, you know, to, in the event that Hitler managed to get across the English Channel, which thankfully he didn't. Um, and so what happened was a lot of U.S. military personnel came over to help defend the U.K. And so you've got the... You've got um, U.K. bases, U.K. soil with a U.S. contingent, which continued until the, the base is uh, closed down not too many years ago. And you've got the event itself happening on, on British soil, open soil, which any, you know, you can take your dog for a walk, you know, on a Sunday morning or whatever. It's not um, closed land or anything like that. And so the guys had to get permission to go out into the woods to see the, what the lights were. So, you know, people have have assumed that the whole thing was sort of an American program. But Porton Down is exclusively, uh, it's like Fort Detrick, you know, where they did a lot of chemical research and um, biological re uh, research and kind of the thing that also goes on at like the Dugway Proving Ground, you know, things like that. Um, so that kind of pushes it down the, the, the road, if you like, of a, of a UK operation, but using as guinea pigs, if you like, 
US um, personnel? Or could it be, you know, a combination of the two? It, it kind of gets into really grey areas, you know, when it comes to who was actually operating this and, you know, who was um, the, the primary uh, force in charge, so to speak. your life change if you could develop the business and personal skills that you need in order to make more money do you want to learn how to achieve your big life goals faster then go to findhiddenmoney.com and get the goal for it online course the course teaches you how you can set and achieve your biggest goals while completely overcoming the roadblocks to your goals so that you can realize your dreams and imagine more success go to findhiddenmoney.com if you are looking for a safe, zero-calorie, natural option to the harmful artificial sweeteners on the market today, Just Like Sugar is what you're looking for. Just Like Sugar is a wonderful natural alternative for those health-conscious people who choose a calorie-restricted diet with a great, pure, sweet flavor that tastes just like sugar. Just Like Sugar is a great natural option for people suffering from diabetes and may be useful in restricted diet programs where standard sugars are not allowed and does not cause a laxative effect of some other sweeteners. Just Like Sugar comprises a perfect blend of chicory root fiber, natural calcium, natural vitamin C, and Just Like Sugar's sweetness comes from the natural flavors from the peel of the orange. Just Like Sugar is a natural alternative to harmful artificial sweeteners and will change the way that you believe all natural sweetener products taste. Just Like Sugar is available at your local Whole Foods markets, Wild Oats markets, Henry's, Sun Harvest, and many other fine natural food stores in the U.S., Canada, and worldwide audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035 extension 143 and on Skype, Xzone Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, always remember Exxon Nation. 
Keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. Memorable dynamic presentations are a not-so-secret weapon in the business world. Do you have a powerful message that must be shared, but you haven't found a way to deliver that message? Do you want to be known as a top public speaker who gets amazing results? Are you ready to create and deliver your powerful message? Thomas Hydes can help you create and deliver your speech to get the results you desire. Visit IconQuality.com. I am here with Nick Redfern, and before I chat with Nick again, let me just point out there's some other fine programs on the para- about the paranormal on the Exxon Broadcast Network. You can find them at uh, xzbn.net, or as they say in other parts of the world, xzbn.net. So take a look at the uh, Exxon website, and you'll find something that will spark your interest. Uh, when we went away, we were talking about the experimentation being conducted possibly unethically, in the Rendlesham Forest area. And I was wondering, um, is there documentation that you have that supports a lot of this experimentation and suggests that some of this might have been going on? Yes. Um, One of the most important things, if we go back to um, Lieutenant Colonel Charles Holt, who's now retired, um, he talked about, you know, what he saw with the guys in the woods and he produced this um, famous memo known as the Holt Memo, which essentially um, details in summary fashion some of the activity that happened in the woods. Now, one of the things he talked about seeing was like these balls of light um, in the sky and also this pencil-like red laser beam also in the woods. Now, that's one of the most important things, as I see it at least, in the in the story in the book, and I'll explain why. Um, I was able to get um, hold of a, a number of documents um, from the um, Edgewood Arsenal in Maryland, and it showed that in the mid 1960s they were doing classified experimentation into trying to weaponize and control ball lightning. And, of course, you know, for many people in ufology, you mentioned ball lightning, you know, it's sort of, <laughs> it's like an anathema, you know. But um, but the fact is that Edge forming these experiments to try and figure out if they could control um, ball lightning um, and use it as a weapon where it could be directed on the battlefield to enemy tanks, trucks, etc. And one of the um, experiments was to sort of uh, have this a, a guiding line of um, laser beams, which would allow them to um, to essentially see where the, where the ball lightning was heading. And when you read these documents, which are FOIA documents, they've been officially released through the Freedom, Freedom Information Act. They show that um, in these experiments at Edgewood. They were trying to figure out how to, as I said, how to control ball lightning. It also involved um, laser beams. And then when you look at the Holt memo with these strange balls of light and these red beam lights um, coming down to the ground, it almost, you know, it's practically like a mirror image of the other one. And for me, that's one of the most important things. And... um, and even, for example, Georgina Bruni, who in 
in um, 2000, she wrote a book on Rendlesham called uh, You Can't Tell the People. And although Georgina went uh, primarily down the angle that it was an extraterrestrial event, even she take away the fact that, um, you know, there, there were so many similarities between these late 1960 experiments using uh, laser beams and, and trying to, as I said, control ball lightning. And then you read the memo, you know, the two pretty much kind of match up. Pandiston, when he uh, talked about it, he mentioned uh, a physical craft, though, as opposed to lights or something like that. Yeah, well, this is where it gets controversial. Um, and this is where it comes to sort of the third portion of the story, and that is the alleged use of sophisticated holograms in the woods. Now, the first person in ufology who was given this story, I'm sure you know him, um, Ray Beauchet. And, um, and for people who don't know, Ray, in um, the 1980s, was the state director uh, for Nebraska. And Ray had a deep interest in the Rendlesham case from um, the early 1980s onward. And he even had an extensive um, correspondence with his um, senator at the time, Senator Exxon. And, um, and uh, Ray actually very generously um, gave me all the correspondence and, um, and allowed me to, uh, to include some of them in the book. Now... The following on from all the research he was doing and trying to get answers from his senator, um, Ray was approached by two Department of Defense scientists who said essentially that what happened at Rendlesham in terms of the specific imagery of the craft was that uh, it was a staged event um, using uh, sophisticated holograms and that um, it was essentially to see how military personnel responded or could respond um, in extremely strange, highly alternative situations. You know, would it cause chaos? Would they be running around like headless chickens? Would they be, you know, just but actually, you know, sort of um, controlling themselves or... Was it just going to be, you know, something where they'd just be standing there with their jaws wide open? In other words, to see, it was to see how the enemy would uh, respond, and they ran the experiment to see how it would um, work on, you know, domestic uh, personnel. And over the years, this thread of the um, the holograms has been given to a number of UFO researchers. For example, the Lord Hill Norton we mentioned earlier. He was given um, that story by insiders, as were, for example, uh, Georgina Bruni, Jenny Randalls wrote about it. So, you know, this thread, again, it's, I would say it's almost been muzzled within ufology, but certainly, um, you know, if, you're, if, you, if you've got an open mind, you know, in relation to all this, you'll see it here, there and everywhere. It's just the fact that in ufology, not many people talk about that. Wouldn't you expect them to run the experiment elsewhere, not just in Rendlesham Forest, but in other locations to see, to get a good baseline on, on human reaction? Well, I mean, if you want to do it in the UK, I mean, I talk about 
this next bit in the book, um, one of the things I find interesting is the timing. You know, the events uh, were sort of 26, 27, uh, and through 28 of December. Now, that was the Christmas period, and a significant number of the people at the base had actually asked for a few days off, you know, for, for Christmas. And so I wouldn't say it was right down to a skeleton crew. It wasn't like that. But a significant number of people were not on the bases as they normally would be uh, because because it was Christmas. And, um, you know, in the UK, um, it's very different to the US um, and more so back then. You know, just about every sh every shop, every bar, club, restaurant, cinema in the uh, in the UK at Christmas time would be shut down. There would be like a five-day period where unless you were the emergency services, you know, everybody would be at home just uh, celebrating for four or five days. So you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't have many people um, out in the woods um, at any time, but at Christmas time there's going to be even less people there. So I find the timing, you know, when um, the base is down because... You know, a lot of people asked for time off. Um, it was Christmas. Most people were at home. And it happened late at night. I mean, the important thing to note, you know, it wasn't, it didn't occur sort of like two o'clock in the afternoon, you know, when um, somebody just might be walking around with their pet dog, you know. We're talking about events that occurred at 3 a.m. deep in the woods. Again, you know, most people probably wouldn't have been up at 3 a.m., you know. Um, but my point, my point is you, you've conducted a single experiment at Rendlesham Forest. Wouldn't you want to conduct that experiment elsewhere at other times to see if you get similar reactions to build a good baseline for your study? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that has happened. You know, I'm, I mean, that doesn't that wouldn't surprise me. In fact, I talk in the book about um, one that, a, a very similar one that occurred in the early 1990s, um, excuse me, in the early 1980s, um, at uh, another one, a base called Royal Air Force Lakenheath, which I'm sure you've heard of. And, um, and a number of the guys came forward there talking about how they were taken to a wooded area and were essentially told something along the lines of, you're going to see some unusual lights and tell us what you think about it. And it was, but in this one, you know, it wasn't, they weren't being sort of, um, you know, it wasn't a ruse or they, you know, they, they're actually told that this is going to be a really weird experiment and we want your opinions. So um, it would, and also um, just over the border of Suffolk, which is where, uh, Rendlesham Forest is uh, just over. You've got the county of Norfolk, and Norfolk was home to Royal Air Force Watton, which is now um, closed down as well. And um, there were rumours of um, a similar experiment going on the same night as Rendlesham Forest at Royal Air Force Watton. Now, what's intriguing is that Nick Pope, who's you know a believer in the extraterrestrial angle. Nick um, followed up on uh, rumours that um, that a couple of um, military guard uh, personnel who were walking their German shepherds around the perimeter actually ran into a couple of guys dressed in full hazmat outfits. Um, well, let's let's explore that. Let's explore that in just a moment because we have okay. to take the last break here. 
I'm uh, talking with Nick Redfern. We're talking about Rendlesham Forest, uh, the possibility of an experimentation going on. I've talked to John Burroughs about that on my program. I'll link it at uh, www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com for those of you who want to listen to what John Burroughs had to say. And uh, I've done an interview with uh, Jim Penniston that might also provide some interesting comments as well. We will be back right after this with Nick Redfern talking about Rendlesham Forest and other paranormal activity, I suppose. to me over and over again simultv.com simultv.com what's simultv.com that's what i asked them they had it written on the side of their ufo how do you spell that ufo no i mean simultv.com 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 right simultv.com interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a simultv.com ufo last night oh yeah yeah now that you mention it, I remember now last night, I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about Simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, Sonny Boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, Sonny Boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about Simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. In the mid-1990s, I was approached by a young woman who believed she had been abducted by alien creatures. In conversations, I began a journey that took me not into the world of interstellar travel, but back through time into past lives. Under hypnotic regression administered by a professional rather than describing abduction, Jenny, as she is called, begins to tell a tale of horror in 19th century London. Her unbelievable past life seems to connect with Jack the Ripper and other monsters of the past. Throughout the session, Jenny provides a rich detail of her past lives that links some of the most horrific killers in history to one another. Using the resources of a university library in the pre-internet day, I was able to verify some of Jenny's claims. She has knowledge that wasn't readily available to a suburban housewife. Does this prove the reality of her tales? Conversations attempts to answer that and other provocative questions. Conversations is available at Amazon.com. Mission Evolution is dedicated to the well-being of the planet and animals, as well as the evolution of humankind. One major factor threatening all three is increasing toxicity. Heavy metals and other environmental toxins are poisoning our bodies, deteriorating our brains, blocking our spiritual connection, and shortening our lives. Yet these poisons are extremely difficult to remove. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, and I recently became aware of a product created from the marriage of nature and nanotechnology called Vitality. Is formulated from zoolite, whose crystalline structure binds toxins, gently carrying them out of the body. The light is only as clear as the window through which it shines. Clear your body, shine your light into the world. Visit VitalityHappens.com for a 20% discount. Enter code PATHHOME. With any luck, I am here with Nick Redfern. We were talking Rendlesham Forest, and when we went away, 
uh, he was mentioning some other experiments, similar experiments that had taken place in other areas around uh, around the Rendlesham Forest area. Uh, so expand on that a little bit for us, will you, will you Nick? Yeah, sure. Well, the, the base in question is just over the county line from Suffolk, which is where Rendlesham Forest is, and into the county of Norfolk, where there used to be a military base called Royal Air Force Watton. And um, there were rumours that on the same night, a similar experiment occurred um, in the direct vicinity of Watton. Now, one of the intriguing stories, um, and this is actually... Um, talked about by Nick Pope as well, who, um, you know, Nick is pretty much, you know, on the the side that suggests Rendlesham was an alien event. But the, the story is that um, there was a number of personnel, um, guard um, people around the base who got a couple of German shepherds with them, and they almost quite literally bumped into two guys dressed in hazmat-type outfits, and they were essentially told, you know, you shouldn't be here because something's going to be going down later on the evening. And the, the two guys did not know what it was, obviously. But it was clear that something strange was going to go go down, you know, near Watton on that night in the early hours. And there was clearly at least two guys already in the area, all uh, dressed up in hazmat outfits. So again, this is important because they were there prior to something um, going to occur, kind of just like the story with Porton Down, that they'd sent a team in prior to the events occurring, which again suggests to me this was a, a pre-planned kind of situation rather than just, you know, a UFO event coming quite literally out of the blue. Well, here's a question that kind of bugs me, and it's because it happens to me all the time as well. You've written two books now, at least two books, that are so, somewhat debunking. You did uh, Body Snatchers in the Desert, which suggested an alternative explanation for Roswell. And now you've done, you've done, and I haven't mentioned it enough, I should have done that, uh, Rendlesham Forest, a UFO controversy, and suggesting an alternative explanation. Do you find yourself labeled as a debunker? Do you get pushback from the UFO community? Um. I guess it's kind of like somewhere in between because people know that I do believe there is a genuine UFO phenomenon. Now, whether it's extraterrestrial, multidimensional, interdimensional, time travelers, I don't know. But I do believe there is a real phenomenon. But I just don't buy into all the stories, you know. And I think, I think that's the rational way to take it, you know. I mean... Just because I don't believe aliens crashed at Roswell or aliens came down at Rendlesham doesn't mean I write off every UFO case under the sun. I mean, I don't. I mean, the reason why I got involved in this is because my dad was a radar mechanic in the British Royal Air Force, and he was actually involved in three really weird radar-based um, UFO cases. That's what's got me interested but, I mean, to buy into every story under the sun is just ridiculous. You know, that just smacks of, like, you know, Fox Mulder, I want to believe. Well, I don't want to believe. I just want the correct answer, you know. But I, I think the real point is, and I know uh, when, when Russ Estes, Bill Cohn, and I did the abduction enigma 
there was a real pushback by the UFO community that uh, I was labeled as an anti-abduction propagandist and things like that, and, and a uh, member of the CIA, and I was uh, this really bad person. And I just wondered uh, if, if you oh, got well, that, that sort of thing. I've had that a few times, you know, where people say, you know, Nick's been hired by the CIA. And I always say, you know, well, you know, if they're, if they're paying me, that, that you know, they ain't paying me much. You know? <laughs> but I mean, joking aside, um, I find the I do find that in ufology. It's like, well, it isn't just a case of Nick's writing this book. Well, there must be some sinister agenda as to why he's writing the book. And that's one of the things that frustrates me about ufology is there always has to be a weird conspiracy to explain something which actually can have just a, a down-to-earth explanation. You know, I wrote the book because I felt there was enough data to put a, a case together that this was a secret experiment. It's not like, you know, I've got representatives from the Illuminati knocking on the door and giving me, you know, half a million dollars or whatever, you know. It's, uh, but that's ufology. I mean, it's bad enough, you know, trying to get the answers when we're struggling to get files and things like this. But then when you've got ufology coming up with, you know, well, Nick must have an agenda or they've, you know, they've bought him off. Well, no, it, it's just honestly because I feel there's a genuine case to be made, you know. Well, I'm always of the opinion myself. Uh, I have an agenda. My agenda is the truth. I don't care where oh, the evidence right. yep. where the evidence goes. I want to follow the evidence. I don't want to follow my feelings. I don't want to follow my belief structure. I want to know what the truth tells me. And I find out things that are quite disturbing when I'm looking at UFO cases, meaning a solution. I don't really want to know, but um, that's where the evidence goes, and that's where we have to go. Um, so, well, you're right, and uh, I mean, I've always said to people as well, you know, if if I wanted to sort of make a lot of money on a book about Randlesham Forest, I would write a book saying it was aliens. I can, you know, I can assure you, and you probably know this, if you write a sort of skeptical book, skeptical books don't sell because, uh, for for the most part, because people don't want their legends destroyed. Um, so for me to, you know, for people to say, well, Nick does it for the money and whatever, you know, and then to find out, you know, I'm writing a book um, suggesting aliens didn't come down at Randlesham, you know, I mean, figures are, are, are guaranteed to be low. Now, I'll, you know, some, a lot of authors might not say that, you know, that all the book sales are going to be low. But I've, you know, if nothing else, I'm, you know, brutally honest and and I don't think the book will sell well because ufology doesn't want to see or hear what I'm saying. And so they ignore it and go back to the exciting tales of aliens in the woods, you know. Well, back in the olden days, which is the 1970s, when cattle mutilations were a big thing, I did an article for True Flying Saucers and UFOs, or UFOs and Flying Saucers, where the name of the book was, which explained an awful lot of the cattle mutilations. And the editor wrote back and he said, well, it was a fine article, but we're not going to publish it because um, pe people aren't interested in cattle mutilations anymore. And in the very next issue, there was a big, long article that explained cattle mutilations as being alien uh, inspired. So it wasn't that he, he uh, was tired of cattle mutilation stories. He just didn't want a story that uh, suggested yep. an explanation for it. So I understand exactly what you're saying there. 
Yeah, and I think, again, that sort of says more about ufology, but, um, you know, when you're sort of fighting to get answers from whoever's hiding the, the real truth of Rendlesham, and then you're having to sort of fight... Uh, which I don't mind. I, you know, I got thick skin. I, I'm quite happy to have a big debate. You know, whether it's online or at a conference. You know, I don't mind. Um, but I would have thought or hoped, after sort of more than 70 years of research and sightings, you know, we could take the approach of let's look, like you said, let's look for answers. Let's not just look for exciting stories. Um, but it just doesn't always work like that, you know. Well, I, I, the other the other side of the coin is sometimes you have no explanation. There is no good explanation for something, and all you can do that's is say, true. "Well, that's the very definition of unidentified." No, you're, you're right, and but again, people don't want their stories sort of um, left as as unresolved. You know, um, they see it sometimes as as a letdown. Well, it's not a letdown. It's just you've gone as far as you can, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Nick, we're out of time here. I'd like to thank you for joining me on A Different Perspective. Uh, I guess your website is nickredfernfortian.blogspot.com. Uh, the, yeah. the book is Rendlesham Forest UFO Conspiracy. Oh, I'm sorry, UFO Controversy. I don't know why I can't I'm read my own. Conspiracy. Pardon me? Conspiracy. Oh, it conspiracy. is Conspiracy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Rendlesham Forest UFO Conspiracy. I don't know what the name of the book yeah. is anymore. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> anyway, uh, thanks for joining us here, and uh, I'm sure we'll be in touch and uh, have you on the program again soon talking about your next book, which will probably come out next week. So. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> thank, thank you much, Nick. All right, Great thanks, Kevin. here on A Different Perspective. As I said, that was Nick Nick Redfern, and somehow I've got the book down wrong. It's the Rendlesham Forest UFO Conspiracy. I was right on the first place. Um, once again, if you're interested in Roswell, I did a book called Roswell in the 21st Century, which I think deals with some of the Roswell case in a similar vein that Nick was talking about with the Rendlesham Forest, although I don't have a very good explanation for what happened at Roswell. Um, I still lean toward the extraterrestrial, but it's just not the same robust case it was 15, 20 years ago, given, given what has happened on it. One of the cases that I do find very appealing and very mysterious, of course, is the Lonnie Zamora UFO landing case uh, from 1964, and I did the book Encounter in the Desert. So you need to take a look at that. And I've gone through the Project Blue Book files and come up with a number of cases that I don't think were explored properly by the Air Force, and it's all laid out in a book called The Best of Project Blue Book. And I brought in evidence and information that the Air Force couldn't have possibly had, but was developed long after the cases were closed and Project Blue Book went away. Next week, I'm going to talk to Robert Schaefer, and we're going to be talking more about the nature of evidence and the way the skeptics look at UFOs and that sort of thing, which I think is important for us to do. My blog is www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. I will link to my um, interviews with... Uh, John Burroughs and and um, uh, Jim Pettiston about Rendlesham Forest, so you can kind of contrast their points of view and what Nick has said here. And as I say, I'll be back next week with Robert Schaefer, and after that, we'll be with Don Schmidt talking about Len Springfield. You've been listening to a different perspective on the Exxon Broadcast Network. Please keep listening at XEABN, and thanks for tuning in. <laughs>